Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Tune Podcast. The goal of my show is to create valuable content to broaden your knowledge, inspire you, and get you in the right mindset so that you can apply it in your own life to drive impact, generate meaning, and achieve your purpose. My guest is Minnesota State Representative Rena Moran. Representative Moran is the chair of the Health and Human Services Policy Committee of the Minnesota House of Representatives and was recently selected as co-chair of the House Select Committee on Racial Justice. In 2010, Representative Moran became the first African-American to represent District 65A. She represents the St. Paul communities of Rondo, Frogtown, Summit University, Thomas Dale, Midway, a portion of North End and Cathedral Hill. As a legislator, she has focused on protecting children in the child welfare system, strengthening schools, reducing educational disparities, and fighting for affordable housing, economic opportunities for all, and women's rights. Representative Moran formerly served as House Deputy Minority Leader and is the current chair of the People of Color and Indigenous Caucus and the United Black Legislative Caucus. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Early Childhood Education from Southern Illinois University and was recently the Director of Prevention Initiatives and Parent Leadership at Prevent Child Abuse Minnesota, doing business as Minnesota Communities Caring for Children. Representative Moran is a graduate of the Bush Foundation Fellowship, Humphrey Policy Fellowship, and Henry Toll Fellowship. On a national level, Representative Moran serves as Executive Secretary of the National Black Caucus of State Legislatures, Midwest Region Coordinator for the National Organization of Black Elected of, of, uh, Legislative Women, and as the Minnesota State Director for both the Women's Legislative Lobby and the National Foundation for Women Legislatures. She is a proud mother of seven and a grandmother of eight. Hi there. How's it going, Rena? Okay, good. I'm so glad that we're able to connect. <laughs> <laughs> I think us being on the phone was a problem, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Rena, this is such a, a, a great uh, opportunity for me because you are such a busy uh, um, elective official and with so much demand going on uh, in your area. And so I really wanted to, um, you know, get your perspective on the type of work you're doing and um, your, your, uh, your work around um, dismantling uh, racial injustice and uh what are some of the solutions that um, that you're being um, that you're providing uh, to your community? So, could we start off with uh, simply describing who you are? Uh, describing who I am. Um, so, uh, I state legislator who has been in the Minnesota House of Representatives. Uh, five terms now, and um, I represent a very diverse, one of the most diverse districts in the state of Minnesota, in the urban capital of Minnesota. I represent St. Paul, Minnesota, District 65A, 
um, which has a um, kind of like a split of uh, you know Caucasians, African American in the Hmong population, and some of the biggest populations that I have in my district. But I'm also a mother of seven children, and I'm a grandmother of eight. And that's it. Wow, that's a lot. That's a big family. <laughs> I I can relate because I come from a pretty big family as well. Um, I'm one of twelve kids. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. It's a. Uh... It's uh, I, I can relate. So, what inspired you to get involved in the political arena? Well, um, in 2000, I moved to Minnesota um, from Chicago. Born and raised on the south side of, of Chicago, I am one of seven six. Um, and you know, spent all uh, of my childhood in Chicago um, and in, in, in 2000 as a mother of seven made a decision that uh, I wanted to raise my kids from Minnesota and so uh, from that I you know um, you know did it on uh, a whim and said you know this is something I want to do I came to Minnesota I was homeless I lived in the shelter for four months and when I finally found housing, it was in St. Paul, it was really important to me to try to get to know my neighbors, get to know the, the community that I was a part of, because I just really felt that as with a person who was not a native of Minnesota, was not a native of um, who had four sons and three daughters, that at any point, if someone were to see my children and my four black sons walking down the street and make assumptions about who they were and who they are, you know, uh, four boys walking down the street, even, even if they've been brothers, can be seen as gangs. They can see, be seen as troublemakers or drug dealers. And not because that is who they are, but because we have a society that sometimes look at our black young boys and men through those lens. So in my quest to connect to the community, I just really wanted to become a good neighbor. And I wanted people in my know that, you know, if they did see my kids doing something inappropriate, it was okay for them to knock on my door. Right. And say, Rena, and so, and I will respond in a way that would be neighborly. Because at the foundation for me of building strong communities is just simply knowing your neighbors, knowing who live next door to you and having a relationship to thee. That's how you create safe communities at really the basic local level and so um, in that quest to become real active uh, uh, I you know a few years later uh, in moving to my community I was ready to buy a home in the community that I had felt that I really loved a lot and I loved the people and there was this connection, and, and as a black Muslim woman, it was that connection with the historical Rondo community had, that had been displaced by this big highway called Highway 94. And uh, I remember um, getting ready to purchase my home, and um, and then there was this next big project that was coming into my community where they was going to build this light rail. And 
actively, I be, became actively involved in that. I became actively involved in my summit U in, in our planning council in a, in a community and um, in a local nonprofit. I became connected to them. And within all of those entities, what I realized is it's important for people to organize. It's important for people to begin to uh, become aware of what's going on in their community and actively advocate for what they want and or don't want. And I began to like go to my city council members and my mayors to say, you know, this is an issue. What do you care about it? What do you care about? I had spent some touch of capital advocating around health care and, you know, different issues that I care about. And what I found out in people about out and that they didn't always know what those issue was mm. or those issue was not a priority and they will say you know Rena, I, I really like your energy and your passion for the work that you're doing but you know this is the law and it was clear to me that well the law was not right the law was not fair the law was not just and that we had to change the law and eventually I kept got to the place where I knew I wanted to be a part of creating the laws. I wanted to become a legislator to create the laws and policies that I felt that was disproportionately impacting my community. Wow, that's so inspiring to have you understand how the systems and processes work and how they impact the community and you wanting to be a part of that. I um, So I met you, oh, gee, it must have been at least more than 10 years ago at a community event. And mm. what really inspired me about your story was that you were someone who had a unique background. And it wasn't like what we're seeing in people in power who are usually white and male, right? And mm -hmm. so could you share the process around running for office, what that was like? <laughs> well, you know, I think we all remember our first everything, right? And there's no difference right. in uh, the running for office for the first time. And so for me, you know, one year in, in, in two. 2009, um, no, 2010, I decided, which was an election year, that um, I was going to go to the caucus, or caucuses that we have here in Minnesota. I was going to become a delegate, and I was going to bring, like, nine other people with me, and we was all going to go to, to our caucus and become delegates. And at the same time, my state rep decided to step down. And so running for office and running for office in a way that many would say was non-traditional. I'm just a mother, you know, who has been active in the community, who wanted to see her community. Um, I, you know, my legislator stepped down uh, late in the process, which means I got into the race um late in the process before the endorsement convention and I wasn't able to get the endorsement. I am a Democrat. I didn't get the Democratic endorsement, but I decided to run anyway. 
And I decided to run anyway because even though my opponent who had the endorsement and really had the endorsement of many of the folks who was political and many of the leaders in the community, I decided to run anyway because I believe in the power of people. I believe in the and I believe that if people get involved in the process, that they can decide who best should present them. If they decide to get up and use their voice as their vote, and that vote is their voice to say, I have some power. And it's not going to be self-determined by somebody else. You have the power to do this. And so I ran and did a lot of door knocking of door knocking, a lot of conversation with people, um, and just realized the things that at that time that I cared about, like schools and housing and jobs and opportunity and developing my community, was really healthcare were really the things that most people care about. Mm-hmm. And just having that opportunity to talk to them, them talk to me and share their, their concerns and their hopes and dreams which were really a lot, um, was an opportunity for me to um, um, bring really? the voices of my community, yeah, really bring those voices to the in the electoral process. Mm-hmm. That is amazing to hear that, you know. And so, as should I should I say that in a year where. I did not get the endorsement of the sports of so many. I did win my primary. Right. <laughs> and that set me up to win in uh, my general election in November. Wow. The amount of obstacles that you had to overcome to get elected mm-hmm. is fascinating. I, I'm hearing a little bit of feedback on my end on mm-hmm. some of the noises. I don't know if it's on my side or your side. Yeah, but, um, static. Yeah, I think it's probably the connectivity uh, issue with the with the app, uh, and I apologize to my listeners for this. Um, so, I, I believe the power really belongs to the people, like what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. And when establishments believe that they have the power to control who gets elected and who doesn't. I think it's a broken system and we need to ensure that the process around electing people to office by the people is fair. And there's too many of money being influenced um, in, 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 in campaigns, even like we're seeing at the, on a presidential level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, other countries like Russia interfering in, in our elections, um, we have to come up with better systems and processes to ensure that everyone's voice is being counted. Um, how would you describe your leadership style? Uh, um, um, one that... Um, does a lot of listening. Uh, one that um, is a, a partnership with um, mm-hmm. that we are in this together. We, we're doing this together. Um, but a, a very um, 
inclusive partnership type of leadership, right? Where I don't try to be the one to stand out to say to you, I know you. Um, it's more of a, a leadership that is uh, about us doing this and creating the change that we want together and empowering other people to see their power, to see their value, leadership, and then to enhance those leaderships. Wow, that's that's powerful. And really, it, what you're saying is the power is really placed on the people in the community because they are the ones that know more about the issues than a politician. Yeah, they're on the ground. This is their lives. Right. Yep. So, obviously, there are challenges that you have to face within your communities, perhaps around housing or lack of jobs Mm -hmm. or affordable health care. How do you push through those challenging times? Because people come to you for guidance and see you as a solution to their problems. And as you and I know, elective officials can only do so much. What's your take on yeah. that? Yeah, we, we, that's true. I think we also, <laughs> we also hold a certain amount of power through the relationship that we have garnered as, as elected officials. And so my role is to garnish to move policies that's going to help the people, mm-hmm. right? And so if someone comes to me and said, you know what, we need, you know, this is what's happening with the homeless population. Uh, we, we lack uh, this, or we need more of this. Or we have 50% of our kids in this school who are showing up every day who is homeless. In order for them to have a great chance at a great educational outcome, we have to find a way to stabilize them. And that's the work that I have to do, to find ways that we are creating, that we are putting a focus on youth homelessness and that we are dead specifically around youth homelessness that is wrapped around with services that we're gonna also provide to our youth. Um, mm-hmm. That's some of the work I've, I've done, I have, and, and um, that I have done and that I continue to do because, you know, one, education is really important to me, but, you know, um, supporting our youth so that they can end up being the best that they can be, you know, but they also, we also know that we need to have support. And part of me is just knowing that as a mother, you know, that none of us can do what we need to do alone. And so, uh, so homelessness and housing is critically, I was homeless. So of course, homelessness is really important to me. It was really important to me while we was homeless that I was able to give my children the best possible experience that they could get being homeless, right? Right. Uh, And not let the homelessness be the focus of who they are. But it's just a journey, a part of that journey. Um, Education healthcare, you know, entrepreneurship, um, small business, job creators, um, 
those things are really important to me. And, you know, as, as a black woman doing my work as a state legislator who was in the House representative in a body of 134, and for a while I was the only black legislator. I was one of two minority legislators. You know, um, it was really important to me that I show up for the diversity that was a part of my community to make sure that we were not, not left out of the process. Right. Wow. That's incredible. And thank you so much for representing, representing the communities that you serve. Mm -hmm. Your voice is so powerful and it's so needed in, in the state. Mm -hmm. You, I, I know that you serve on several committees. Mm -hmm. Could you share a bit about uh, maybe one or two of those committees, what, what is its purpose? Mm -hmm. So I am the current chair of Health and Human Service Policy Committee. Health and Human Service, so I sit on, I'm the chair of Health and Human Service Policy. I also sit on Health and Human Service Finance and Jobs and Economic Development. And the power of being the chair of Health and Human Service uh, Policy Committee is that all the work that I do do, I do it through a race-conscious lens, mm -hmm. recognizing that race matter. Um, I do it to fight for social, racial, economic, and environmental justice. Um, no matter what I do, I come to the table with that value because I am a great-granddaughter of a slave who knows yeah. that race has always mattered in America. And, and I'm also a part of a state who has some of the worst disparities. So it's, it's important that I bring that lens to the table um, to make sure that when we are uh, looking at resources and policies that we're doing it through a, a lens that is just not like, oh, if we do this for all people, then all people will be taken care of. That has mm -hmm. not worked well for our communities. Right. And so um, Health and Human Service is one of the, uh, the biggest committees in the Minnesota House of Representatives next to education. Mm -hmm. So a big portion of our budget goes to, towards education. The other biggest budget is going in Health and Human Service. That entails uh, from child protection to uh, to uh, PCA workers, to nursing homes, to um, looking at health care, whether or not we're going to uh, conform with the Affordable Care Act, to, I mean, the, the whiff of what we do within Health and Human Service is huge. Looking at uh, MFIP, you know, um, uh, it's just huge. And mm -hmm. so that is a, a, a huge part of the budget. So it's a great place for me to be at as chief of health and human service to make sure that we are supporting the low income communities, that we are you know, representing uh, the, the, the needs that government has a role to play to make people's lives better. And what better role to work to ensure that we're making people's lives better than in health and human service. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the other side of that, uh, the other committee that I sit on is within jobs, economic development, development small business, um, looking at uh, the, the state and how we uh, provide support for the state entities around the need, um, economic you know, development and things like that, which is huge. But also, you know, especially in the moment that we're in, in time with the unrest that has taken place here in the state of Minnesota with the murder of George Floyd and the civic unrest that happened, you know, on top of a pandemic that we are in at this moment and the impact that the pandemic has had on small businesses, our small moms and pop businesses, which is the foundation for our community, that we need to make sure that when we, when the federal government was giving relief to small businesses, now let me tell you, a small business can be a business from from one employee to an, an employer who has 500 or more employees. Mm. And some would say 500 employees it would not be a small business. And if you're going to correlate or put side by side a big corporation like that, that could be um, someone like a Target or a Walmart that can maybe consider themselves as a small business if they have less than 500 employees. It's a mom and pop business, which is usually seven or less employees. And so when we're allocating dollars, sometimes it is those very micro small businesses who are left out of the process, who are taking the blunt of going out of business. And if you are a minority small business on top of that, we don't even see you sometimes. So my work and our work is to make sure that we are investing in those micro small businesses that are the foundation in our community. I'm also the chair of what we call the People of Color Indigenous Caucus. We call ourselves the Posse Caucus. Uh, mm. I'm also the chair of, of that uh, caucus where our focus is to focus our work through a race conscious lens that we are fighting for social, racial, economic, environmental justice. And a big part of our work is to make sure that this session, this year, that it is so small business in our district that are getting the support. The civic unrest that happened that we're trying to rebuild these communities that were hit by the civic unrest in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, that in distant learning, it is our small, it is our children who are not left behind through our distant learning process. Mm-hmm. And that we can reimagine what education needs to look like, but we're also giving support to parents who have inherited the job of trying to teach their children. And there be uh, often multiple kids in these families, not just one or two kids. It could be three. There could be a large family that, that, rep- that looks like my family or your family. And how are we doing the job that we need to do to make sure that English language learners are getting the support that they need or the refugees or the immigrants, right? Or African-American children are being successful in school and parents and communities have the tools they need to support these children and these families to create better outcomes. Wow, that's incredible. I, 
I can see why your work in these committees are so important. I can relate to some of the topics that you just mentioned around English as a second language, mm-hmm. coming from a family that doesn't have much facing racism while growing up in a small town uh, uh, in the state of Wisconsin out in the countryside. Um, I, You inspired me, really. <laughs> the, the kinds of work that you do and your type of leadership and you being so courageous and brave to stand out on the floor speaking on these issues and representing your community members. Um, I think it might have been Oprah that said this, um, that you may come as one, but, but you stand in, in thousands of people. Mm. And that's so powerful because you look at the people who supported your campaign, people who invested in your work wants you to succeed so that you can represent your district. Um, I know you don't forget those people and you're standing up for those people. And I, I want to really thank you for, uh, for your efforts in creating a more, um, you know, more just society for all people, really. Yes. Yep. How do you, what, what, I guess my next question here is who inspires you and, and why? Who inspires me? Oh, so many people inspire me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, and, and, and most of the time, just like, they're like local people, right? Mm-hmm. That's working in the community. You know, um, just working hard to make sure that we have healthy and strong community. There's advocates themselves. You know, for me, there was uh, a few black African-American women early uh, in, in, in my time. I looked up to it. I just thought, I was like, wow, she's doing some awesome stuff. And she's smart <laughs> and, you know, um, and they're tenacious. And, you know, they just do what they need to do because it's the right thing to do. And I looked at that and I became inspired and just wanted to, you know, also just do my little part. You know, because it just needed to be done. Um, so for me, it was like, people wouldn't know my name, but they're just local folks who, um, like Naida Presley, who was like organizing Aurora St. Anthony Neighborhood Development Corporation, you know, where I became a, a, a resident leader, you know, figuring out how do we organize in your own community, block by block. Uh, or Beverly, Dr. Beverly Hawkins, who ran um, uh, Model City, which is a housing program for women and children, where they provide housing, stable housing, nice, good, stable housing. But they also wrapped it around with by giving them some tools uh, in their tool pockets to be effective at parenting. Right, and creating opportunities for a process where they can also go to work but also have childcare so they can do that. Re- realizing that with wraparound services are needed if we're going to help people to be as successful as they can be. And they looked at the whole family. Those things like me are inspiration for me because I'm very family oriented um, and believe in, you know, support the whole family. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I look at, I love, I love, love, love Michelle Obama, you know, who. Oh, I love yes, her too. <laughs> I love her, you know, um, and what she represents and how she represents um, is really important to me. Um, but I guess my biggest cheerleader was probably my aunt. My mother died when I was young, when I was like 20. She passed away. My father passed away when I was like 12. And so my, my father's sister stepped up and really took us on. Um, and she was like my my, my, my biggest advocate and supporter, mm-hmm. you know, for me, who never just, who always saw the best of me and her little niece, right? Who was always there to support however she could. She was the one when I moved to Minnesota said, you know, I have a girlfriend that lives in St. Paul and I visit her in St. Paul and I really like St. Paul. I think you should move to St. Paul. And, right, <laughs> and I was like, okay, auntie, I mean, if that's what you think, then okay, I'm going to look for housing in, in, in St. Paul. And she never steered me wrong, right? I have built so many good relationships and connections in a small town feel that I got from St. Paul that I needed that that time in my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's my aunt Jeanette, Miss Jeanette Moten, mm-hmm. who was my biggest supporter um, all through my life. And it, it sounds like you don't really need a lot of people to inspire you, right? Yeah. And just like, I think I read a quote somewhere. Maybe you might have stated this while you're on the campaign trail. You said something along the lines of, it, it, you know, it requires a small group of people making change. Just so, you know, a small group of people who have a strong passion and and commitment to yeah. change that really makes profound changes yeah. Yeah, sm- throughout the community. You're right. A small group of committed people. Uh, this is a fav- one of my favorite quote, quotes that states that a small group of people um, is the only they- thing that has and will change the the small group because it can change the world. It is the only thing that ever has changed the world. Just a small group of committed people, right? And sometimes we think that we need, you know, crowds. And and usually, you know, a a movement is a movement, right? And usually there's a hundred people that shows up for that movement. But there is this small group of folks who are committed to the work and the process, who's organizing it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, oftentimes, and most times, that is what it takes. That's what it takes. Mm -hmm. You and me, we can change the world. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it now. You and me, let's go. <laughs> you are such an incredible person that I look up to. Um, who uh, I that that inspires me to be a better human being, a better leader to my communities. And thank you so much for your work. Um, what advice would you give my listeners in terms of? Um, 
driving change or achieving purpose and meaning in their life. So I'm going to end with this um, because I I, I believe so much that life is about you, right? We want to think that life is about somebody else and what somebody else do. Life is really just about you and how you show up and what you do and how you create the change and drive the change that you want. And I found this so much in this book called The Four Agreements. I don't know if you ever heard of The Four Agreements. No, yeah, I have not. It's one of my favorite books. The Four Agreements is by Don Miguel Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. And his four agreements are this. The first one is be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. And using the words to speak against yourself or to gospel about others. You know, avoid using those words to speak against yourself or to gospel about others. Use the power of the word in the direction of truth and love. Be impeccable with your love, with your word. Number two is don't take anything personally. Nothing, right? Nothing others do is because of you. What others is a projection of their own, of their own reality. When, wow, right? that's powerful. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. Number three, don't make assumptions because we do this all the time. We're always mm-hmm. making assumptions. Oh, I thought they was thinking this or that. You know, uh, find the courage to ask questions. And to express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstanding, sadness, and drama. With just this one agreement, you can completely transform your life. And last, just always do your best. And your best is going to change from moment to moment. It will be different when you are healthy opposed to sick under any circumstances, simply do your best. And you will avoid self-judgment, self-abuse, and self-regret. Mm-hmm. Those things. Wow. To live by. That's, holy cow, that, that is amazing. Um, I'm going to have to look at, look up that book. Yeah, the four agreements. <laughs> the four agreements, yeah. Do you find it hard to practice it? when you're you know in heated discussions with let's say a colleague who may not agree with you on a certain topic like race relations or mm-hmm. funding to you know communities in need yeah um you you can because especially when you talk about race racism mm-hmm. um people biases continue that continues to show up and you know mm-hmm you're not the one that they're talking to or you're from the uh, uh, promotion that you know you deserve. Um, but race is a tough one. And it makes you, it takes you there, right? And right. <laughs> and so <laughs> I have learned that um, just to, you know, my, my word and the, the, the value statement that I come from is just that. Is 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 you know is yes, 
you know. So mm-hmm. I, I try to just only say what I mean. You know, I, I try to avoid people trying to take me down their other role, of this other space that they want to that can be very negative and just stay um, true mm-hmm. uh, and to speak with integrity, right? And right. not knowing that, you know, this is not about me. This is something, this is their own problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to take it right. or I'm not going to take on their stuff because I figure it's not about me. This is about them. This is the place <laughs> of they right? And I always just ask questions. So what do you mean? You know, um, can you give me some clarity about stating, right? Um, and try to be as clear as I can with, you know, uh, what I'm saying. And, you know, sometimes it works because not everyone is in that space. You know, they want you to argue. They want they want to be right, for a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I just try, you know, to do the best that I can. And that way I can, you know, I can just, you know, say, you know, hey, I fight. When I fight, I fight. And believe me, <laughs> sometimes I'm not taking no uh, prisoners neither. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we elected you because of because of your courage. That's that's ex- the exact leadership that we want in the in our office. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is such an incredible uh, conversation. I wish I'd love to continue on with this conversation, but unfortunately, um, you know, I, I want to be respectful of your schedule and time. Mm-hmm. So I want to again thank you so much for. Uh, just dedicating a part part of your uh, schedule today with me to uh, discuss about some of your work and um, inspiration. Um, Where can people find you? So if they want to find me, they can find me at um, rep uh, rena, uh, R-E-P dot R-E-E-N-A dot M-O-R-A-N at house dot dot M-N. I am campaigning right now, so you can also go to my campaign website to look at Rena for Rep. That's R E N A F O R R E P um, dot org, and you can find me there. Um, and so I'm always um, here. I'm here, and I try to uh, active and engage with the issue mm-hmm. in the moment of where we are. Yeah, especially in such a critical time of uh, presidential yes. elections. So yes. uh, thank you so much for your work again. And again, folks, uh, you hear from uh, directly from Representative Moran. Uh, check her out. Donate to her campaign, volunteer. Yes. And uh, let's uh, re-elect her to um, her district. She has been a phenomenal leader to many of us. Uh, and again, inspiration in me. So thank you, um, Rena, for your uh, for your time and for your work. Take care.